So welcome back, Harvey. This is part two of the backstory with Harvey Kronberg. And um, I want to talk a little bit about uh, sort of where the electorate is these days. And uh, the reason I wanted to talk about it, I was as I was doing my research, getting ready to talk to you because you have uh, such a wealth of knowledge that you know, it scares me to have to be in the same room and try to sound intelligent about politics when I'm around you. But so I, I was looking back and, you know, there's been a lot of talk about how the Hispanic vote is changing. There's a lot of talk about how it's it, it, it it's going to be the difference in 2024. It was supposed to be the difference in 2022 and, and you know, all of that talk. And yes, there's some signs uh, that things are changing. You've got more Hispanic elected officials, but uh, what's interesting uh, interesting about this is so it's a little bit of a of a of a backstory of my own on this you know so I grew up in San Antonio Texas and um, in a conservative household and I did not know exactly why we were conservative to be honest with you I just it was a conservative household and that's the way that we did things now San Antonio was not a conservative city even back then and um, and so. You know, so uh, as time went on and I started to question, you know, why this, why that, why am I voting this way and so forth, even though I agreed with some of the things that, that you know, we talk about at home, I, I wanted to get a little deeper into it. And my dad is a first generation American. His parents came from Mexico and they were poor and they had nothing. He first, he's the first one in the whole family to go to college and he decided to, he wanted to go further, went, put himself through dental school. And so I grew up with a father who was a dentist in a totally different environment than than he grew up in. And um, and so, again, you know, as life goes on and, you know, you just, you, you, you pick up from your parents those things that, that uh, are meaningful to you. But as I got into deep into politics and, and uh, uh, you know, when I got here to Austin after law school and I started lobbying, um, I, there was always these issues that went, to the Hispanic vote, and I had my own experiences about why I was why I thought more conservatively, and did that. In, in some cases, there were people that felt like I wasn't Hispanic enough because I thought conservatively, and then there was others that would put you in a box that if you were Hispanic, you just should be Democrat. And I just didn't understand that. You know, I like to understand things, so. I, I formed this organization. It took me a while with a good friend of mine, Gaspar Laca. And we, at the time, it was called the Board of Hispanic Caucus Chairs. We formed it with, with, uh, with five members from five states, from Texas, mm. Florida, New York, Illinois, and California. And of those five, they were the chairman of their, of their Hispanic caucuses. Three were Democrats and two were Republicans, Illinois and Florida. And so the whole idea was, I thought, we should have an organization that talks about Hispanic issues um, as Hispanics or Latinos, uh, whichever term you want to use it. But I don't think they have to be broken out into Democrat and Republican because they, they, you know, if you're Hispanic and you have certain issues, those are the issues we should concentrate on. And everybody should, everybody has the same issues, you know, if it's, if it has to do with the economy, et cetera. So I formed it that way and we started to meet and it's still, it's still to this day, um, a, a national organization. They, I think they've changed the name. But in 2010, I decided, and I'd formed it a couple years before that. In 2010, I decided, okay, I'm going to do a poll. 
I want to really see. So I grabbed a group that I worked with out of the National Association of Latino Elected Officials, staff there who could do some polling for me. So they're from California. So I didn't pick anybody in Texas. I wanted to pick some other people because I really did want this to be sort of a, a, a nonpartisan thing. And they did this poll, and it was really interesting. Dallas Morning News did an article on our poll back then. Tisha Vandepute uh, was quoted in it. Back then, 2010, about 63% of Hispanics identified as Democrats, but 53% identified as conservative. So you had to dig down into the crosstabs to see what was that all about. And um, so I felt vindicated that— yeah, I think I think Hispanics are more conservative, but why are they conservative? Well, when you dig down into those cross tabs and you realize um, it may not be the things that you think it, it, it is, and some of them may be those things. But it turned out it was family values, patriotism, country, and the economy. And Hispanics tend to be very entrepreneurial, and they start businesses there, and they, and, and they, they anything that affects their ability to. Um, to help their family is is what they care about. So those were the big things. There wasn't social issues. They were they at the bottom, like one percent. It just didn't rank up there with taking care of your family. All those things that were right. And so, um, so I, I went and pulled all that stuff out. I started rereading it, and I was like, wow, I you know I hadn't looked at it in a while. And you know, I think some of that's. Some of that's come true, and I think they still don't know how to categorize a Hispanic voter. So I'm, I'm really interested in um, if you've had a chance to kind of look at some of that or, or have an idea or have an opinion as to whether or not that there is a, a change that's, that's occurring and what, what that might be attributed to. I thought, uh, first of all, let me say, um, my father was also, my parents were also first generation American. Oh. My father's parents didn't come from Mexico. They came from Romania and Hungary. Okay. Um, but the same type of thing would do anything to um, uh, improve the status of their families. And um, uh, as a matter of fact, I, I, I'm Jewish. My father hit a glass ceiling. Uh, in the corporation that he was working in, which prompted him to start his own business, which proved to be really wonderful. Yeah. Um, now, what did he do, Harry? Uh, he uh, sold ex- uh, accessories for major construction buildings: oh. window frames, toilet partitions, okay. mailboxes, bullets and boards, things like that. Uh, the lat it's called sec- the flagpoles, even oh. uh, is in that category. <laughs> That's right. So you you full yeah. circle, okay. right? Right. He ultimately just focused on flagpoles, which I I just sold a business that. Uh, spun off of his. Uh, but having said all of that, the um, I have always thought that it was a major mistake to try and uh, treat uh, Latinos as a homogenous group. Uh, uh, for instance, uh, Cubans and Mexican origin originated people do not necessarily get along if you're from Puerto Rico. Yeah. Uh, uh, it's got as many faces and facets as pretty much any other culture out yeah. there. Uh, there are some unifying themes, obviously, but uh, the, the the thing to remember, and I'm going to get historical again, but Texas was one party democratic state. That's right. Uh, but uh, up until t- 1990, well, 94 was the last statewide election uh, democratic victory. Uh, but to say that it was Democrat did not mean it was liberal. That's right. The, they were essentially they called them conservative Democrats. Yeah. yeah uh, the uh, there, there were three parties in Texas: liberal Democrats, conservative Democrats, and Republicans. 
And it wasn't until Lyndon Johnson signed the uh, Voting Rights Act that started this, uh, to create the Republican dominance in the South uh, that um, that uh, the Texas Republican Party began to shift. And then Reagan kind of sealed the deal. Um, aspirational, uh, inclusive, um, uh, a lot of things that the modern Republican Party isn't. But uh, – the Democrats have always taken the Latinos for granted, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, the um, uh, uh, they were predictable Democratic voters, but typically they were low turnout voters. That's right. And uh, so, uh, typically, you, uh, a high water mark might be 17 percent of Latinos vote. Yeah. But um, the that's pre- actually that is a high water mark. I think it was more like 12. In, uh, back then, it's yeah. in, it's back then, increased yeah. a little bit. Uh, uh, as education is uh, in, uh, has um, uh, as more and more families are educated, uh, they participate in the process. Like I think most immigrant cultures, they're driven by um, uh, entrepreneurialism, uh, whatever their religious values may be, um, and uh, so that, that defines. But the shift now is largely because the voice of the National Democratic Party is not in sync with the voice of. Uh, moderate, they're as much out of sync as I think the Republican part, modern Republican Party is. Um, but they don't speak. A, uh, New York does not speak a rhetoric that resonates in Texas. New York Democrats do not speak a, a rhetoric that resonates in Texas. And um, uh, the the great Dave McNeely, uh, who was once the dean of the Capitol Press Corps, told me that uh, at one point government only does one thing. It doesn't matter who's in charge. It really only does one thing. It redistributes wealth. One party redistributes it up, one party redistributes it down, and the rest is poetry. Uh, well, functionally, that is what government does, but we've now cluttered it with um, all of these social issues, which motivate people, so you can't you can't really fault them for that. But uh, the Hispanic vote, especially south of I-10, is increasingly shifting Republican, and Republicans are putting resource, particularly into South Texas. Yeah. So uh, Democrats actually, the Democratic National uh, Congressional Campaign Committee uh, had three races they knew Republican re- Republicans were targeting in South Texas, and they essentially abandoned the field about 10 days beforehand. And there, there are specific issues that are driving the turn in South Texas. Um, law enforcement, every family has somebody in law enforcement. When you start talking about defunding the police, you're talking about uh, my uncle's livelihood. Yeah, uh, oil and gas. The, the the Green New Deal is somewhat of a caricature, but it's a great and the and OAC definitely does not, even though she has Latina roots, uh, <laughs> does not speak a rhetoric that resonates in South Texas. Yeah. Um, and then the border, they are infuriated about yeah. uh, what's happening on the border in South Texas. Yeah, I think uh, people miss that point. Is that is that those those that are American born. Or our legal aliens are infuriated by the illegal alien population coming across, and I think it's it's hard for people to understand that. But if you're here and you're making a life for your family, and you worked and you went through it the right way, they're they're, they're angry, and they'll tell you, you know, why does someone else just get to jump, right. you know, jump over? And I think that's that's it's missed on a lot of people. It's also physically just physically disruptive to communities. Yeah. Um, yeah. And the Biden administration, I think, has had a lot of success in a lot of areas, but they've been pretty much an abject failure when it comes to uh, uh, Abbott's grievances against the Biden administration for essentially ignoring the border. It was number 10 or 12 on his list of priorities when he was elected president. We're just now beginning to see 
uh, because they see the potential adrift. If Latinos were actually to vote, most of West Texas would be um, uh, Latino. Uh, elected officials would be Latino. Um, uh, if they were, if they were, well, one of the problems politically is that African Americans and Latinos kind of don't. There's a presumption that if you're a minority, you're in alliance. Not true. Not they true. they tend to be competitors, not not collaborators. Um, but uh, uh, ultimately, the Republicans see an enormous possibility with the fastest growing group of um, uh, voters in the country. They're putting resource into it at the same time. Uh, they are uh, their rhetoric is so hostile. Immigrants of uh, essentially all immigrants, frankly, um, and it is having. It's one of life's great ironies. Uh, all immigrant groups, Latinos in particular, are concerned about inflation. One of the reasons we have inflation is that we don't have enough workers to fill the jobs that are available. So wages are going up. What, the, the, we will not solve the inflation issue until we resolve the immigration issue. And um, uh, so while everybody is upset about immigration and is having is reacting, uh, the solution to our a lot of a lot of our problems is in finding a solution. Finding a solution. I, I you know, then, I, I I try to explain it to my sons. You know, it's like I think that's where we, you know you 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 get a lot of of uh, how you how you think about the world is when you you know you have some you know, your children and they they want you to explain to them something they're just learning about yes. and and so you know uh my sons asked me about the border and why you know explain why that is you know such a big deal and i said you know uh, just like you said the 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 solution is to fix the immigration issue and so that people can come here legally. And I guess I don't understand why we don't do that. Why wouldn't we want to fix that issue? But it hasn't been fixed by any party, by any Congress ever. Sadly, we have uh, cable TV and and um, talk radio to blame for that. George Bush, John George W. Bush, John McCain, and I can't remember the Democrat that was working on it. Um, had a had a uh, an immigration solution, and I, f- I remember correctly, it was about 2006, mm-hmm. and um, uh, I, it was a legislative solution. So what they were proposing wasn't going to be the final, but they were making progress until Limbaugh latched on it, Rush Limbaugh, and um, made it a, um, a major campaign issue. Um, at the same time that immigration was first registering and polling, particularly well, polling in general. 2006, I remember a, a friend who ran another newsletter, Ross Ramsey, Texas Weekly, later mm-hmm. of Texas Tribune. We com- we were both noticing in the polling we were seeing, particularly among Republicans, that immigration, not necessarily illegal immigration, but immigration was rising up on the list of uh, priorities and yeah. concerns. And we wondered why that was happening. And one of our East Texas state reps put as good a reason on the table as any. He said, you go to a Walmart in my community and you've got a customer speaking Spanish to a a clerk that's speaking Spanish and they feel alienated in their own home, Hmm. Uh, which um, is not unique. If you were in California during the great Asian migration, it was the same thing. If you were in New York with the great Italian migration, it was the same thing. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's nothing unique about it, but it's disorienting for folks who 
uh, are increasingly feeling like uh, government doesn't work for them anyway. So, but the bottom line is that um, that as um, more and more Latinos are educated, get into the workforce, and uh, become uh, uh, politically motivated, uh, the face of of American politics. It, I mean, it's inevitable is going to be increasingly immigrant. Yeah. Uh, Fort Bend County, which was the county that uh, Tom, which which uh, produced Tom DeLay and was one of the most reliably Republican counties, is now, I think, the largest single identifiable po- population group is Asian and Indian. Yeah. And so That's the right. county judge is an Indi- a Democrat of Indian descent. Yeah. Um, and um, most other immigrants, the Chinese, for instance, are breaking Democratic right now, although everything about their culture says they should be breaking Republican. Mm-hmm. Um, the Hispanics have a longer history, obviously, in, in the United States and in Texas. Um, and um, uh, the Democrats are speaking East and West Coast, not Texan to them. Yeah, they're kind of, yeah, I think that's that's true. You know, one of the things when I was interviewed for the Dallas Morning News back then in 2010, I remember I got a, a, a kind of a lot of heat for a comment that I made in the paper. And I just said, um, you know, that Democrats take... Uh, Hispanics for granted, and Republicans ignore them. And I truly felt that way. And and so um, it was kind of interesting, uh, you know. I, I was I was getting a, a lot of um, you know blowback from from both sides about that. And I said, well, let me just show you the data. <laughs> and and I and I and then I actually had at the time. The uh, chairman of the Republican Party came to my office, and I th- I thought they wanted because I was like, let me help, let me help with this, you know, let me help with the educational piece. And, but no, they were there to tell me that they thought they were doing everything they needed to do to to reach out to Hispanics. And I said, well, I, I don't agree, and 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 I think that's you know, if you're not putting you know effort into races, if you're not putting effort into education, if you're not talking about the things that matter, which I had a whole litany of things that would matter. Um, you know, it probably would have happened a lot quicker, uh, could have happened a lot quicker. But I think to your point now, they are putting, they're actually putting resources into these races. And I think what, you know, I, uh, I, you know, what I want to see is I, I, I'd like seeing that there's, that there's, there's more diversity happening in the Republican party with regard to Hispanics, uh, and Latino elected officials. Um, you know, that's close to my heart, Latino elected officials on both sides, but, but. I want to see some representation on the on the Republican side as well, um, but I don't want them to get you know put into a you know pigeonhole into a certain you know issue uh, oriented on one thing, but to 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 be able to really talk about all of those issues mm-hmm. that they care about. So it's you know the the jury's still out on it. You know it's just kind of it's new. It's all of a sudden you know there's some hot you know. Congressional new congressional members that are that are coming in. Um, let's see how they're gonna how they're gonna legislate. You know, it's going to be interesting. Um, the, well, I think everybody sees what the future is. But um, uh, in the age of Donald Trump, uh, we had a, a kind of a grievance uh, society, uh, grievance electorate. Uh, wasn't necessary. Uh, he, he Americans of Latino descent. We're not particularly offended by some of his rhetoric, um, um, but uh, Democrats presumed that they would be. The best metaphor for the Democrats taking, even today, taking uh, uh, Hispanics for granted, Beto O'Rourke 
spent more time trying to uh, making public appearances in West Texas and uh, Abilene than he did in South Texas. State senators from South Texas told me they never got a phone call from Beto O'Rourke seeking his help. Yeah. County judges did not receive. Uh, I mean, there's a, a hierarchy down there that can be engaged, but if you're not respected, if you don't project respect, something that I think George Bush pioneered in South Texas, that Republicans yeah. did. Yeah. Um, I think he still has the, the, the highest record Hispanic vote. 49% of the— I mean, than anybody. Yes. Yeah. Uh, in his re-election uh, uh, to governor, he got 49% yeah. of the Hispanic right. vote. Um, and because he spoke bad Spanish, but he spoke it and he respectfully asked for the yeah. vote. Yeah, he did. Um, uh, so the Texas Democratic Party is not a statewide party. It's a party of uh, communities. There's a party organization in Houston that functions, or in Harris County that functions. There's a Democratic Party in Dallas that functions. There's sort of a, a structure left in South Texas, but uh, there's no primary voice uh, no political director, no nobody that um, has captured rhetorically um, uh, the Latino zeitgeist yeah. uh, in the Democratic Party. Yeah, and, which I, I was just going to say, you're talking about Texas, and you're talking about Texas Democratic yes, Party. Yes. Yeah, I, I wonder uh, sometimes if they've sort of given up on on uh, on Texas because they 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 figure you know let's spend all our time in California, New York, Illinois, um, you know those big those three big states have a lot of votes. I tell you it's funny when I when I um when I formed this group the Board of Hispanic Caucus Chairs, you know, the the whole idea was um to bring in caucus chairman, you know, legitimate chairman of the caucus uh of different states. And that that there was probably 12 that were legitimate caucus chairmen because they had enough members to form a caucus. <laughs> so we had to sort of change over time and we said okay, let's just the highest elected official of uh, of that's a Latino in that particular state, you know, we'll bring that person in, or maybe two, you know, from. But we started finding all of these pockets of Hispanic voters around the country that I never even knew existed, you know, Connecticut and Minnesota, um, you know, just all over the place, Missouri, and we had members, and we there's now I don't know, I couldn't tell you exactly right now, but I think, you know, when I stopped you know doing uh, working with them on a day-to-day basis we were, we had uh, like 39 states represented that's a lot of states now that now it may be that may not be a huge population but there's a population of of hispanic voters in that particular state if we had somebody as a representative so it's funny because i think everybody sees them all you know kind of in texas florida kind of you know mm-hmm. you know all up kind of northeast and california but Oregon, uh, another huge population. So, well, um, I should say eighty percent of the growth in um, in Texas population is Hispanic. Eighty yeah. percent of the population, maybe seventy percent, is Hispanic. But of course, the, with the miracles of modern computers and gerrymandering, uh, there should be at least, uh, in my opinion, another half dozen Latino faces in the uh, Texas House. And uh, we we earned uh, what I think two additional seats. Two. Mm-hmm. Uh, we could argue there was a deliberate undercount in Texas, uh, but uh, uh, there should have been three, and two of those three should have been Hispanic. Republicans have not made enough progress yet in that community, but the progress they're making is measurable. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I I, I do think that they are making a, a measurable progress, and I think um, you know some of the 
a lot of the party leaders, I think, finally realized, um, you know, we can't just continue to bang the drum the way we've been banging it and, and just say, you need to come along because, you know, we like you. I mean, mm-hmm. that's not enough, <laughs> you know, and we'd like for you to be a Republican. Well, you know, you got to prove it. You know, everybody, you, you, again, it's the same thing. You can't take it. You just can't take them for granted just because. Well, and there's also um, um, a point of a par- point of entry uh, uh, change that's taken place. Uh, by the way, just as a uh, side note, uh, John Sharp uh, in 1998, John Sharp, uh, now Chancellor of Texas A&M, and Rick Perry, then Lieutenant Governor, uh, well, then Ag Commissioner, ran against each other for Lieutenant Governor. If I remember correctly, it was about six or seven million votes in that election. Sharp lost by seventy thousand votes, and the the uh, among this is when there was actually a democratic structure in Texas. They were truly annoyed because the line, the default line, was if he'd put fifty thousand more into South Texas, he would have won. But he thought he took them for granted. Pre John Sharp, what the way they would uh, get turnout was you, know, you had a lot of poor families that were American citizens, but a lot of poor families. And block walking, when we think about block walking, is putting a door hanger on a hanger. In South Texas, uh, particularly near the border with poor families, they would bring a bag of groceries Mm -hmm. and say, we would just appreciate it if you would come vote. And um, one may think that that's improper, but it... um, uh, in it's a different time and place, it's just the way it was. Well, I mean, and, and they would just bring you know a bag of money. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I've 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 seen it happen, and I I know I knew it was happening, and it just was part of the culture of that you know, and and so, but that you know, it, it wasn't just the Hispanic community that that no played out no no too, of course but, not no. But South Texas, um, all uh, minority communities were in that same. I mean, the you know, people that typically didn't. I mean, if you're working. You know, two jobs. You're just trying to make it, and you're you're trying to take care of your family. And someone's trying to convince you you should go vote Republican or Democrat. You probably don't care. You're just trying to make it, right? Mm-hmm. So if someone comes to you and say, "Hey, I'll give you whatever, a hundred bucks if you'll just go vote Democrat," yeah, I mean, I think I'd run down the street <laughs> and pull pull the lever, you know. And I think that, um, you know, uh, right or wrong, you know, that's not what we're arguing, but that is what happened. I. I I'm, I'm sure some of that still goes on, but I think that there, it, it's getting a little bit more sophisticated because I think the younger generation, they're so tied into the phones and um, and all of the information that comes across. I, I, I'm not going to say it's good or bad because I think, the again, jury's still out on that, but they are getting a lot more information, and at least it's getting them to dialogue about it. Exactly. I, I should mention also that being Texas specific, that um, uh, Governor Abbott's uh, infusion of four billion dollars into South Texas ostensibly to, to secure the border, uh, which obviously is another major issue this session. Mm-hmm. Uh, most of that four billion dollars is not really producing any result, measurable result. What it's done is pumped up the economy. There's no empty hotel rooms. There's no empty restaurants. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, if you go to a Holiday Inn, it's law enforcement vehicles. Uh, if you go to a, just a general bar, it's mostly law. I'm talking about the valley and yeah. the border areas yeah. now specifically. Yeah. So one one rather sarcastic person said, "Well, you know, street money used to be a bag of groceries. Now it's a four billion dollar pump into the South Texas economy." Yeah, and so it, uh, South Texas should be prospering, but uh, it never hurts to have four billion dollars of extra liquidity. That's not bad. Yeah, <laughs> that's good. That's good money. <laughs> Well, Harvey, again, this has been um, you know, fascinating. Um, 
these these subjects are you know you, you read about them all the time, but I don't hear that many people talking about them in great detail and getting some background, you know, knowing that you 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 come from a, a immigrant family as well. Um, these are these are things that that really just kind of determine how we are and you know in our life and how we think. And I think it's just fascinating to see how this is all playing out, um, you know, and, and how this will all play out this this next election cycle, which is just around the corner. So um, look forward to another uh, another session of the backstory with Harvey Kronberg coming up soon. So we'll we'll be uh, we'll be calling you soon and try to figure out what we want to talk about next. I look forward to it. This has been a lot of fun. Yeah. Thank you, Harvey. My pleasure. Thank you for joining me today on this episode of the State House podcast. Today's show is made possible through a generous donation from my friends at Air Wellness. Air Wellness is one of the most innovative and fastest growing vertically integrated U.S. multi-state cannabis operators. The company's mission is to drive positive impact for their patients, their customers, their employees, and the communities they serve. For more information, please visit airwellness.com. That's A-Y-R wellness.com. If you're enjoying this podcast, please subscribe to our YouTube channel. In addition, consider subscribing on Apple and Spotify, where you can leave us a five-star review. If you're not already following us on social media, you can find those links below in the show notes. As always, thank you for your continued support, and we'll see you next time.